You're listening to the Forging Theory Podcast, a show dedicated to bettering lives through fitness, nutrition, and inspiring stories from athletes of every stripe. This episode is brought to you by Modern Day Midwife, encouraging active pregnancies, supporting empowered birth, and growing strong, healthy families. For more information or to set up an appointment, contact Tracy Burns by visiting moderndaymidwife.com. What's going on, sweet people? This is Coach Riley, and on today's episode of the Forging Fury podcast, alongside my best friend, Michael Gray, we have a doctor in the house, Dr. Jordan Leonard. What is going on? Gentlemen, it's a pleasure. Before we get going, we just want to send a special thanks out to AZOPT. They are hosting us inside their um, Goodyear office. It has uh, air conditioning, which is really nice. Uh, we've been recording in the gym in the uh, summer months, and it has been quite warm in there. But Rough. they have been uh, nice enough to let us use their uh, use their facility. So we just want to send a big thank you out there. All right, so let's dive in. Jordan Leonard, the the doctor, the doctor, <laughs> the doctor. We're gonna we want to present this episode as like uh, like you're a fountain of knowledge, and we're gonna like bounce some ideas off you. A lot of pressure. Yeah, no, no, no pressure at all. This is the first official doctor we've had on. Yeah, it's like the most expert of experts we've had. Yet. Yeah. Well, first, Excited. Jordan, let's talk about how you got into medicine. Maybe let's actually let first let's start with what you used to do before you uh, were into medicine, and then we'll dive into that. Yeah, I, I didn't have kind of the typical path. I mean, lots of people talk about you know wanting to be doctors for a long time. You know, Tracy is in healthcare and, ha- and had an experience growing up that really kind of shaped her from um, from a young age. That really got her into the idea that she wanted to be in healthcare and wanted to help people. I liked science. I, I liked science in high school. It was what I did. I, you know, went to all the science fairs, was a big geek. Did um, you win? I, I did. I <laughs> did. It's, it's, I didn't go to prom. I went to the National Science Fair and Whoa. I'm not sure I'm better off for it, but anyways. Um, <laughs> no, what, you what, was your, uh, what was your, your project, project that year? So we instead, did, of, instead of prom, you still did. remembers it. We did. <laughs> we used microbacteria to break down um, toxic waste products. And so <laughs> we looked at, um, in the wastewater, there was benzene, which um, companies that use solvents and dry cleaners and things like that will dump into as wastewater. Uh, and then that gets in the wastewater. And so he used uh, a bacterial solution to be able to break that down, make methane, and make the water safer. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so. he's already a way over my head That's with awesome. all these science terms. But no, you didn't need to go to prom with a brain like that, dude. It was just, it just might have decreased I, your knowledge. Yeah, as a late bloomer. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so, cool. So I went to, went to college and um, where'd you go? Went to Abrea, Kentucky. So okay. it's a, it's an amazing school. Put a, put a great plug in here. It's a liberal arts college. Um, it only has about eighteen hundred students, so it's very small. Um, it's very selective. Your parents have to, it's basically for people that don't have a lot of resources. Mm. And so there's a certain like income limit. And if you, you know, if your parents or your family makes more than that, you can't get in. Um, 85% of the students are from the Appalachia area. So it's from, you know, Kentucky, Tennessee, West Virginia, and that area. And then they take a few people from outside of that. Um, I, you know, they always make the U.S. News and World Report's number one list for liberal arts colleges and best um, um, best deals for college and things like that because it costs zero dollars to go there. Wow. It costs nothing for tuition. It costs nothing for room and board. Essentially, you buy your books and that's it. As a trade-off, you have to work 15 hours a week on campus. And so people work in, you know, the bookstore. They work in the library. They work in, they have a lot of crafts down there because it's in Appalachia. So they, they make a lot of 
Um, Where'd you work? Poetry. So the first year I worked in um, the library, and then after that I was a teaching assistant and stuff. But so I left four years of college debt free. Didn't owe anything. That's didn't, awesome. Didn't you know have to pay anyone any money and stuff like that. That's the way to go. Um, and left with a degree in physics. Loved physics. Went and worked for the government. So okay. um, I got hooked up with some of my professors during my schooling and did some stuff there. So I ended up working at Oak Ridge, Tennessee which is the place or one of the places that develops nuclear bombs. And so <laughs> did some testing with that, did some things on um, theoretical yields, did some things with uh, low temperature physics to try to increase yields and stuff like that. So it was... Did you, do you ever like wonder about that stuff now? Like now that you've changed direction, does that stuff still interest you? There, it has changed so much. And so it's, it's crazy because, you know, I, I had a degree in nuclear physics and do that, but, you know, that, that field has changed just exponentially in the last 20 years. So the things that I learned that were cutting edge now are things that they teach you in high school physics <laughs> and stuff. So it's, it's way different. And I, I, I used to, for the longest time, I would carry around all my old books and folders and equipment and stuff because it was, it was fun to have. And, you know, with each move, I got rid of more and more of it because it was just a, just a hassle. But so I did, I did that and, you know, I, I, I loved it. It was exciting, but I realized that I couldn't talk to people about what I did. Mm. I couldn't share oh. with them what I did. The, you had a security clearance. The, I had a security clearance. Wow. You got, you had to do, you know, lie detector tests. You had to, wow. you carried around a thing that said how much radiation you got exposed to. So they would check that. And I would, I would get exposed to too much radiation. And so you would swap it out with one of your friends so that you didn't get in trouble. <laughs> but, wow. uh, um, but yeah, so it was, <laughs> it was fun. It was exciting. But at the end of the day, I was like, okay, I don't, you know, I, I don't know what I'm going to do with this for the rest mm. of my life. And so um, I, I kind of went to look at other things and thought about, well, I, I want to help people and I want to use that, um, that to be, to do something productive. So I, I originally looked at doing nuclear physics, which is a kind of an area of medicine where you use um, nuclear isotopes to tag cells or tags um, different things in your body to be able to make diagnoses and things. Um, so I originally kind of went into it thinking I was going to do that and then realized, well, great, I just traded one job where I work in a basement and don't get to talk to people <laughs> for another job where I work in the basement yeah. of a hospital and don't get to talk to a lot mm -hmm. of people. So um, I kind of went into med school thinking I was going to do that and, and changed pretty quickly. Where'd you go to med school? So I went to med school back in South Dakota, which is where I grew up just because, South, again. I didn't know you were from South Dakota. Yeah. So, and, you know, I, I left college never taking a biology course. So, really? you know, I had to go back to school for a year just to do my prerequisites to mm -hmm. get into med school. Again, left with more debt in one year of taking <laughs> five or six classes than I had yeah. in, in four years of undergrad. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, so went to school, med school in South Dakota and then went and uh, did my pediatric training in Kentucky. Uh, and, and then did my neonatal training in Ohio, which is where I met Tracy. Nice. nice. That was like, <laughs> that was so much. There's so many questions yeah. I have. What's an isotope? <laughs> <laughs> well, Let's first, not get into that. Well, first of all, I want to ask you some questions about your first job. Um, with the recent news, and this is getting off topic, the recent news of Area 51 and these people trying to get into Area 51, like... Do you, what, what do you think about that? Uh, they're going to get shot. That's yeah, what's well, going to happen. Yeah, definitely going to share. Ryan is wanting to sign up. She thinks it's, <laughs> it's going to be a great, daughter, a, a great idea to go and, and participate in that. Um, it's, you know, the... the the security and the access <laughs> and some of that stuff. I, I mean, I, I can tell you even in, in working in, in Tennessee, I mean, you couldn't just walk in. I mean, the, the ponds were um, locked down because some of the wastewater would get in there and you know, we would get memos about don't pick up frogs because the frogs could be radioactive oh, and wow. things like that. So, you know, you, you can't just 
walk into one of these places. I mean, Area 51 is is a small base in the middle of a big desert. It's not like but they have. But do you think there's things inside these bases that people don't like? There's stuff the government isn't, isn't telling us. I'm sure there's lots of things the government isn't telling us. I'm not Probably sure. For good reason. I'm though. not sure there's aliens, but I'm sure there's things that they would rather not have us see. Okay, so when you originally got into medicine, you just wanted. I feel like you have a passion for helping people, and like you, like you said, you you wanted to be in contact with humans. Yeah, and so and you know, and when I went back to med school, you know, I, I you know, you kind of get when you do med school, you get exposed to everything, and so you do a psych rotation, you do a peds rotation, you do a surgery rotation, you do adult medicine, you do OB kind, so you kind of do everything, and you know, I, I quickly realized that as much as I liked helping people, that. Um, you know, I, I sometimes maybe wasn't the most patient person. So seeing people that would come back time and time again with the same medical problem and were just, you know, struggling and needed help, but didn't want to make some of the changes that, you know, would probably make them better was frustrating to me. And so I was just like, okay, I, I, I can't do adult medicine. That's, that's beyond my scope. Um, and so, you know, pediatrics really drew me in. And so I, I, you know, I knew I wanted to do pediatrics. So I did my training with that in Kentucky and then, you know, realized that, well, I, I love pediatrics, but I don't necessarily want to take care of, um, you know, runny nose and, and ear, <laughs> ear infections the rest of my life. So maybe I want to specialize. And so I, I kind of went back and forth between doing um, peds hemonc, which is kids with cancer and metabolic um, uh, or hematologic uh, blood disorders, and doing neonatology, which is uh, premature sick newborns. So I kind of went back and forth between those two and and you know, really didn't decide until the very end, but then decided to do neonatology, which is the, you know, the tiny sick babies. Yeah. So tell us a little bit more about neonatology. Like what exactly, like when you are, you arrive on site with the, with the patient or with the baby, like tell us more, a little bit more about that. Yeah. So neonatal perinatal medicine is basically just, you know, the field of medicine that focuses on, you know, sick newborns. And so for the most part, a lot of those sick newborns are babies that are born prematurely. So, you know, the normal gestation is somewhere in the nine month or 40 week range. So it's babies that are born, you know, as early as 22 or 23 weeks. And so um, because they're born early, their organs and their systems aren't developed and they just need a lot of uh, intensive care. Or you have babies that maybe are born closer to their due date, but they're sick with infections or, um, you know, blood sugar problems, breathing problems and things like that. And so essentially we take care of them during their initial hospital stay. So, you know, I don't really have to recruit patients because I just work <laughs> in a hospital setting. I don't work in clinics. Yeah. Um, patients just kind of come to me. Um, the, you know, the more that the uh, medical community and, and the um, obstetrics community works to getting sicker and sicker moms pregnant, the more business I have because, mm. the, you know, the more moms um, that are kind of, on the edge of, of health that are getting pregnant, they're having problem pregnancies and they're then having problem deliveries. And so, um, you know, that it's what continues to grow our practice. So your wife's trying to get, take you out of a job basically. So yeah, like, yeah. Her goal is to make you not. I was getting ready to say, I see this like ever mounting. We should mention who, who yes, his wife is. Go definitely. ahead. Tracy Burns, one yes. of our coaches at CrossFit Fury. She's uh, definitely uh, one of our favorites and she's been on the podcast and Jordan and Tracy are like, like the two people I go to to learn stuff from, like I always ask Jordan, I always ask Tracy, like you got to have smart people around you. And these two are definitely yeah, smart people. It's, it's confusing because we have different last names. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, um, Tracy comes with, from a family that had four girls. And so she always kind of wanted her, you know, last name to continue on and didn't have that option. I, I have a brother, but otherwise, you know, I'm kind of, um, you know, separated a little bit from my family. So I didn't have a big tie to, to my last name. Honestly, I probably would have changed my last name, mm. but once you're in, 
in medicine trying yeah, to change solid. all your credentials and hospital yeah. things. It just gets to be a hassle and stuff. So, so it's funny because if, you know, in my work, everyone calls Tracy and the kids, you know, with the last name of Leonard, when we go to the gym or the, or the schools, my last name becomes Burns. So you just <laughs> kind of get used to yeah, an- answering I, anything. It's funny how that, like that whole thing, I talk, try to talk to people about that. Uh, like, what is that? that tradition of taking people's names and like, what is that? Like, I don't understand it. And I, I wouldn't be something big for me and that I would even really care about. Yeah. It's, I think there are times that it's, you know, it's, it's caused confusion or frustration. <laughs> I mean, there's times that it's funny cause you know, Tracy used to work um, in the neonatal intensive care unit. So she would work with me. Um, and there'd be times where she would be sitting in the break room and people would come in and be like, Oh, that Dr. Leonard is an asshole. I can't believe really work with him. But she would just sit there and smile and people would kick him under the table and say, you know, that's his wife. Um, but so it's, it's interesting. I get to find out a lot of secret information. She gets to find out some things. It's nice. bad when she agrees with them. She's like, I know. Exactly. So what do you see? And we were kind of speaking about this before we got on the podcast uh, about this kind of circle of, of health with mothers and health with babies and kind of how that's all kind of cycled together or it all plays a role. So let's talk about what you see most in like kind of moms that are unhealthy and like what that leads to unhealthiness in their children. Yeah. And it's, and it was really, you know, after I began my CrossFit journey and things like that, it was really one of the things that got me involved in, you know, overall health and things like that. Because yeah, as much as having unhealthy moms increases my bottom line, you know, it's, it's frustrating to see that we have, you know, more and more, we have babies that are being, um, having to come into the nursery because they have blood sugar problems because mom couldn't control her blood sugar during pregnancy. And so you have babies that have a rough start, need to have IV sticks, need to get labs drawn. So they're getting poked. They're separated from their, their mom, their family because of something that probably could have been, you know, handled better. Um, and then that's frustrating. And you see ba- moms that are, that deliver er- or babies that deliver early because moms had blood pressure problems and things. And so there's, you know, there's a big opportunity to have an effect that not only affects mom during her pregnancy, but then also affects that offspring. And, you know, as we've learned more and more, there's just so many things that we learn. And so the idea that, you know, Tracy talks about this a lot and it's, you know, it's important for us, um, you know, and, and me and my field, but the idea that, you know, for, you know, let's say, let's pick one of my kids, Ryan, you know, Ryan, the, the egg that Ryan came from mm-hmm. was inside of Tracy when she was developing inside of her grandmother. So Whoa. the things that, you know, the things that Ryan is exposed to from an environmental standpoint started not only, you know, when she was pregnant inside of Tracy, but started when that egg that was going to form her was in her mom, was in her mom yeah. and stuff. So there's this, wow. there's this three generation Inception, approach yeah. and stuff. So, you know, when you're, when you're, when Tracy's pregnant, you know, she's exposed to her mother that was exposed to her grandmother. She's making eggs that are in there. They're going to be the only eggs that she has that are then exposed. So, um, you know, when you talk about things like nutrition, there's this idea of this hundred year cycle. Mm. So, you know, there's essentially four generations that are connected because, you know, your body that you're nourishing your unborn baby in is affected by the nutrition that was provided by your mother. You're then developing this unborn baby that's developing eggs that are going to be the next generation. Dude, my so, mom loves McDonald's. Huh? So, so yeah, it's, <laughs> you know, in a way it's, it's fascinating, but it also is scary because you think about, you know, the changes in nutrition that has happened in this country over the last 50 years. And you go from the fact that in, you know, 1950, it was the diabetes rate was one in a hundred. Um, you know, in the 1990s, it's one in 50. Now it's one in eight. We're only 50, 60 years into this cycle 
of processed foods and sugars mm. and things like that. So where are we going to be in, in 50 more years when it's these generational effects that add up and, you know, you're not just going to be able to, to make a quick change and get away from it. I feel like it's kind of cool that I'm responsible for, well, well, if my unborn great grandson or great granddaughter, like I'm taking care of myself now, so they'll be all right. You know, is, is, that, is that something yeah. to think no, about? No, it's, it's awesome. And it's, and it's one of those things that, you know, what, you know, if you try to get someone to stop smoking, it's hard. Um, but sometimes they have more success when they're pregnant because even though you may think, well, I know it's bad for me and I shouldn't smoke or I shouldn't make these lifestyle choices that are bad. When it comes to affecting a child or something inside of you, there's that altruistic side of you that says, okay, even if I wasn't willing to give it up for me, I'd be willing to give it up, you know, for, for the next generation and stuff. Well, if you think, you know, even as, you know, even as males, but certainly as females, what you're doing now is affecting your genetic structure that's going to affect your offspring. Yeah. In a way, it's daunting because you think, holy crap, I'm I'm screwed. You know, I, I look back at, you know, my family, my mm -hmm. parents and stuff like that. How, <laughs> how am I going to overcome that? Yeah. But at the same point, then you can take personal responsibility and say, hey, listen, it's got to start somewhere. Here, yeah. It's going to start. It's going to start with me and yeah. I'm going to start making good choices. And, you know, that's 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 not going to save Ryan and Morgan. But, you know, maybe <laughs> it'll maybe it'll set a good example for them so that then they'll, you know, set yeah. good examples for their children. And, and you just try to make that in incremental. Um, what is more process. important in the equation, the guy or the girl who's who's more who's like input or like health is a little bit more important. Yeah, I mean, by far, it's it's the female, just because they have more timing and more, um, you know, direct exposure in terms of things like that. I mean, there is a lot, you know, the whole field of epigenetics. So the idea that, you know, you're born with a certain genetic code. So you have your DNA, which which codes for certain processes and certain proteins and things like that. And, and you know, that's kind of set. You can't change your genetics. But the things that you're exposed to and the things that you, um, you know, the effects that you make and the, the experiences that you have affect how some of those genes work. And so that, that's the idea of epigenetics. And it's kind of the the analogy or the example that people give. It's, it's kind of like the the genetics is the hardware. So the genetics is your computer, mm -hmm. the hard drive, the chips inside of it. But epigenetics is the software. So, you know, you can you can have a computer, but depending on what software you load with it, you can do vastly different things with that computer. And so, yeah, you may be born with a certain genetics, but what you're exposed to in utero, what you're exposed to growing up, um, really is going to affect how, how some of that genetics is processed and, and what it kind of shows. That's, it, that's uh, interesting for me just because Sayla, I don't know if you know about her, but she was adopted as a frozen embryo. So she is not our DNA, but she did exist her entire life in Heidi through, through gestation. So Heidi did have an effect on her, her DNA and her, yeah. who she is. Right. That. Absolutely. And, you know, and this, this, the, the whole idea is, is that, you know, we used to just think, oh, it's nature versus nurture mm -hmm. and, you know, how much of it's genetics versus how much exposure. And then, you know, the kind of idea of exposure was, well, it's exposure, you know, after they're born and what's going to happen to them there. And then now it's the idea of, well, not only is it exposure after they're born, it's the exposure that they got in that nine months that they were in utero. And then you throw up genetics on top of it. And it's, boy, it's that exposure to the generation before that may have had some effect. And so wow. it's, it just gets to I'm be. So interested in this like i'm nerding out hardcore right now i remember back in fifth grade when we had to like combine like Punnett squares eye, eye colors and you know who's gonna have green yeah. eyes who's gonna have I, I was always interested yeah in that yeah, yeah. Stuff. genetics are, are wild to think do you think that um let's say in a scenario where the mom is not or like mom's super healthy dad's not super healthy is it is that baby more at risk or less at risk or like is it perfect when both partners are healthy like 
I think I, I just I want to get a little bit more into that. Yeah, I mean, certainly again, you know, the mom has more exp- more exposure and more of the you know direct metabolic exposure. So you know, diseases in mom by far outweigh the effects on on babies and and you know even on. Um, you know, sperm and eggs and stuff like that than the effect that, that the males have. But, you know, as we, again, learn more and more, we used to think, you know, in, inside of your cells is the mitochondria, which we thought was all maternal genetic products. And now we're finding out, well, maybe that's not so true too. Ooh. So, you know, it's, it's you know, de- I guess, depending upon how you turn out, you can't just blame your mom. You know, some, of <laughs> that's gonna, lot, mom. It's, some of that's going to be, you know, on, on both parents and some of it's going to be on the generation before, which, which they didn't have any effect on. Um, but it's, you know, so it gets to be the whole idea of, you know, it, even in, you know, in, in Tracy's world, there's the whole idea of, um, you know, preconception counseling and trying to get you as, as healthy as you can mm-hmm. be before you're pregnant, because you want to make sure that that system is primed and ready to go. And, and that, you know, that may go all the way back, you know, your entire life. It's mm-hmm. not just when you get to the reproductive years. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I, I mean, Heidi, Heidi started CrossFit and, and got into fitness and stuff after our last kid. So I, I, she would have loved, I'm sure to have gone back and just thought about nutrition and health in a different way with, with Sayla and Carson. But what it seems to me and what happens with a lot of people is like, there's a lot of healthy people out there that try to have a baby that it's difficult, but then there's people that, are at McDonald's, but like they look at each other the wrong way and they have a baby. So like, how does that, like what things are determining that? Like I've seen two super fit people. Like, I mean, there's, there's so many different things that play a role in that, but like they were struggling and they're like, both of them are super fit, super healthy, like cleaned up. Yeah. And there, I mean, there's so many things that affects fertility and stuff and, you know, and there's, there's whole fields of medicine that just deal with fertility and stuff. And so, but you know, there, some of it is stress, you know, when there, there are people that, you know, again, if, if you're so healthy and you're so fit, those are probably people that are type A that are worrying about what they're eating, worrying about what they're doing. They probably worry a little bit about, you yeah. know, conceiving and what, what this means and stuff. And so there, there's, there's times that, you know, and we see this all the time. You see, you see families that couldn't conceive, couldn't conceive and got some sort of, a, you know, um, fertilization support or some kind of, you know, artificial insemination. And then, you know, a year later go on and get pregnant on their own and Mm. stuff. So once, sometimes once that stress goes away or once, you know, you've kind of reset your endocrine system, you know, the other thing we know is with athletes and things like that, especially with females that can upset some of their, uh, Mm -hmm. not not upset, but can alter some of their hormonal um, cycles and the amounts of estrogen and progesterone that they have. And so, you know, certainly there's the athletic triad of of Mm -hmm. women that don't, you know, are, are a little bit underdeveloped or will develop later because of some of that suppressive effect. Yeah. I've know a lot of competitive female CrossFitters that like their endocrine system screwed up, yeah. like their, their bodies are being pushed to the limits and they're not able to kind of have their normal cycles or normal, like everything's just thrown out of whack because they're asking so much of their body. Yeah. I remember when Heidi and I went through infertility counseling, like she wanted to find, you know, what are the tools I can get? Like the, the things I can rub my spit on to see if I'm ovulating, that kind of stuff. <laughs> and, and our, her OBGYN, who I love, he just said, look, look, don't spend your money on all these things. Take whatever you're going to spend on that stuff. Go spend it at Victoria's Secret. Take a vacation. <laughs> That's the, but you just have to stop being so worried about it. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. When you're, when you're having to time your cycles and do daily temperature measurements <laughs> and check the consistency of your mucus, it, it takes a little bit away from yeah, the, the, that It's that not so romantic. Yeah, exactly. yeah. So what are some people like, we have a lot of, our demographic at CrossFit Fury is like young professionals that are, you know, buying their first house, like looking to have their first kid. What are some things that both partners can do to kind of like naturally, I would say, 
uh, increase fertility or like if they're struggling with that, what's things they can do? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, again, it's, it's going to be things with nutrition about just eating clean and eating healthy and that, you know, it doesn't, eating clean doesn't necessarily mean eating organic. Uh, you know, again, there's, there's various studies that may show some or, or no benefit to that, but it's the idea that you're not eating processed foods. You're not eating things that, you know, you, you've talked about this at nauseum, things that have labels. You're not eating things that have multiple ingredients. You, you want to get to the, you know, the basic core nutrients. And if you can, if you can get a diet that has a good blend of those, you're going to set yourself up where you're not going to be deficient and you're not going to have you know, you're not as likely to have a, a deficiency that's going to cause a problem during pregnancy. You're, you're going to want to exercise. You just want to have some good, um, you know, whether it's cardiovascular exercise or it's weightlifting, you want to have something that's that's keeping you, your metabolically system activated because, mm. you know, it's it's that whole range of hormones and and peptides and things like that that control it's, it's not as simple as just getting rid of sugar or fixing your insulin level you know all, there's just just this huge cascade of things that causes problems and when you have diseases like um, diabetes when you have diseases like hypertension or obesity it, your body is essentially in a state of inflammation and that in that inflammatory process is what over decades causes all these diseases but you know that inflammatory process just makes you in general less healthy so mm-hmm. it makes you more susceptible to get infections it makes it harder for you to have you know good fertility and things like mm-hmm. that so it's not just a you know a blanket well I fix I, you know I take a medicine for my blood pressure that's going to fix it no because that blood pressure is a symptom mm-hmm. of of your overall um um disruption of your system and that and that chronic inflammation and so just by fixing that number yeah you made that better but you haven't fixed the underlying problem i feel like that's every uh, wellness wednesday talk i've ever getting if you're out there trying to make another clean up your diet and start exercising <laughs> like those things fix it's a catch-all to fix everything like these long long diseases that have been affecting us for a long time like that's how you fix it like fix your diet fix your exercise and Think good things will happen if you're trying to have a baby. Yeah. I guess I mean, it's the whole it's the whole realm of functional medicine. You know, functional medicine again is kind of this buzz term, and people people are kind of you know you know. Um, it's you definitely know, popular on Instagram. It, it, people now. are going towards it, and they think it's this this grand cure and stuff like that. And it's not, but it's just really the idea of you know if you have a medical problem. Not, well, let's give you a pill to get rid of that symptom. It's, well, what's causing that disease? You know, what's the underlying effect? And if we know what the underlying effect is and we can switch that, you're more likely to have overall success. Now, it may be harder because instead of just giving you a pill and having you say, mm-hmm. you know, the only the only effort you have to make is to take this pill once a day, you know, it, it's harder to say eat healthier. It's harder to say exercise more regularly. It's harder to say give up certain, you know, substances and things like that. But yeah, self-discipline if you could, is not no. humanity's yeah, right. best, uh, best trait. Right. And so, you know, you know, the medical profession in general gets knocked on because yeah, they, you just know, was gonna people say, that. say, oh, you know, the, I go to my doctor and they just want to give me a pill. Yeah, and but the problem is it's because patients show up and they just want a quick fix. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, doctors would love to be able to say, "Hey, you know, here's something that's a little bit more." Doctors don't like writing a bunch of prescriptions. Doctors don't like having you on multiple things that they have to follow up on. They would love for you to take charge of that. But we know that it's much more likely that you're just gonna you're gonna be more compliant taking a pill once yeah. a day than you are going out and eating more vegetables yeah, you or guys, eating less sugar. Doctors deal with symptoms that are long, like long term, like 
what if you've been doing whatever you've been doing wrong or whatever symptom has been a long time coming and now you come to the doctor the doctor tries to fix that symptom and it's not really you guys fault at all like you're just trying to help that person it's they put themselves in that situation and people really don't take ownership of themselves yeah. in that situation like oh now i have type 2 diabetes oh i don't realize that i've been doing that to myself like my diet lack of exercise things of that nature right. that led you to there yeah i mean ideally you would take a two-prong approach you would say well let me let me do something that's going to fix your symptoms right now because i want to make I, I i don't want you to have you know this this you know i don't want you to feel bad i don't want you to to be uncomfortable i don't want you to be in pain but you know as we're doing this let's also try to fix this underlying cause so that maybe we can get to the point where you don't need this quick fix anymore mm -hmm. it's the same way in crossfit you know if someone can't do uh, you know if, if i can't do muscle ups the idea isn't just well you know you forever you're going to do you know this um this adaptation or this you know this other exercise because we're not going to care anymore it's uh, okay well <laughs> let's do this but let's also work on the fundamentals that we need so that you can get that muscle up and totally. stuff so it's not just giving up and saying oh you can't do it well forget it then it's it's building up that core building up that um you know that reservoir of what you have but maybe making some modifications in the meantime so there's a question i have um my dad is not as physically fit as he should be. Um, his heart is generally okay. He's way overweight. He has had a stent in his um, for his heart, which is a problem. And I know that he's afraid to try CrossFit or even to try anything more than just walking around the neighborhood. Um, what would you say to someone like that? Like, let's say let's say someone's out of shape. They're sixty years old. Can CrossFit be something that's dangerous for them or is that going to end up being helpful? Like how do you yeah. balance the, I could have a heart attack on the CrossFit floor yeah. or I could have a heart attack at home eating a bag of Pringles? I mean, I think it's, it's all about moderation and it's all about where you go. I think, you know, whether it's CrossFit or it's swimming or it's, it's cardio and things like that. If you take someone that's unfit and then you push them to a max, it's not going to end well. Um, and, and if you take them and you take them through the steps and you say, Hey, listen, we're going to start you out in basics or onboarding or whatever fundamentals class, the master's and we're, class. we're just going to, we're just going to work on these simple things. And then, you know, once you show that you can do that, maybe we can get to the point where we move you up, but it's going to be a slow progression. I think there's absolutely no reason that they can't do that. And it's not too late to start again. It's not this idea that, you know, it's just like with, you know, the people that let's say smoke cigarettes and figure out well, I've been smoking for 40 years. Why stop? Because, you know, you can stop and you can make some reversal of some of those exposures. Mm -hmm. It's not just uh, well, I've had this exposure for 40 years. So that's it. I'm, you know, I've, I've, I'm destined to have, you know, cancer. I'm destined to have this long-term outcome. Would you say doctors that recommend that patients like my dad just do walking are doing them a disservice or are they just being real defensive because they, they see something like CrossFit as this is a place where you go get rhabdo and you throw up at the <laughs> end? Like, I, I think doctors are always afraid of what they don't know. And mm -hmm. so I think, you know, I think that's why, um, you know, I think that's why Greg Glassman and the whole, you know, CrossFit, you know, national um, corporation and, and um, apparatus has, has really pushed for doctors to get more educated about health and doing their you know level one training and stuff because if you're if you're scared of something if you're worried it's going to cause more injuries if you just don't know your default is going to be well I'm not sure about it it may be bad so just avoid it and stuff you know we I see this all the time in, in terms of there are some things that if mom's taking it um, while they're breastfeeding that you worry about but that that list is relatively small but if if a regular doctor or even even some OB doctors if they give a mom a medication their default is well don't breastfeed if you're on this medication because we don't know and stuff like that because they don't want to take that risk but you know it's 
sometimes it's that it's that fear that well if something bad happens i don't want to be the one responsible that keeps people from even you know getting close to that right that and then line. people don't do anything and then you're right. not benefiting your health at Absolutely. all at no action point. is probably sometimes the worst action yeah and there are some listen there's some there are some bad physicians. There are some bad healthcare providers that know that, hey, if I can keep you chronically ill, you're going to come back to me every mm-hmm. month and I'm going to, you know, be able to charge you and stuff like that. It's it's interesting because healthcare is changing a little bit and it used to be simply a fee for service. So if you went to the doctor and you were seen by them or you had a procedure, the physician billed for it and they got to collect money. So in a way, it kind of incentivized people to come back, come back, mm-hmm. you know, or it, doctors were incentivized, hospitals were incentivized to, well, the more procedures I can do, the more diagnoses I can give you, the more money I'm going to make. Now there's this idea that, well, we're going to give you a certain amount of money to take care of a problem. If you can be innovative and you can fix that problem for less, congratulations, you just made a bunch of money. If you are just going to keep chronically bringing them back and, and doing the same thing over and over again, over time, you're going to lose money and stuff. So it really mm. incentivizes the physicians, the hospitals to be innovative, to fix the underlying problem, to do really a lot cool. of that functional medicine, because it's not just, okay, I'm going to give you something to cover up your pain. It's uh, well, what's causing your Let's pain? How can root. we fix that? So that then you don't have to come back. What, who is instituting that change? Like on, on doctors, who, who's the one that says, here's the money. Are you talking about insurance insurance companies? companies. It's insurance okay. companies, Medicaid, Medicare, things like that, who are who are just tired of. It. I mean, again, I think the the statistic now is that we spend something like one billion dollars a day on cardiovascular health, um, mm-hmm. and a lot of that's related to chronic diseases like obesity, hypertension, diabetes. The idea is that in six years, that's going to be two million dollars a day. So, I mean, we're just spending all of this money um, trying to fix the problems that are a result of the things that we're not fixing at the beginning and stuff. Yeah. You know, you're not, you're not fixing the underlying reason that they're having obesity and diabetes. You're trying to catch them on the, on the opposite end and fix all the complications that result from it. Well, I think that makes a good transition into one of the other things we want to talk about, which is your CrossFit health certification. I mean, CrossFit is on the front lines of wanting the to. The terminology is MDL1. Like, yes. Is that, yeah. So it was basically a huge group of doctors that got together and took their L1. I think you went to the ranch. It was in Aromas. Yeah. So I was lucky that, you know, they, they've done it now. I think they're on like probably their their ninth or 10th uh, iteration of this class. And so I, w- I went the fourth time. Um, the first five or six times they had it at the ranch. So they had it, you know, at the original CrossFit game site. Nice. Dave Castro was there, the infamous hill in the background yeah, where people would run Mecca. up and down and things like that. So it was, it was, it was awesome to be able to go there. It was also, um, you know, about an hour away from Scotts Valley, which is where the CrossFit corporate headquarters is. And so they had just moved into that facility and that's, you know, it's, that's where, you know, we used to have, um, a lot of the broadcasts for during the games and all mm-hmm. the personalities that we would see regularly with the updates and stuff like that. So they had all those backdrops there and we got to kind of see all those people and meet all those people and stuff. So it was a, it was an interesting opportunity. Do you think like if we have more doctors, like, like associated with CrossFit or like opening, like being open to learn new things, I feel like doctors, like you speak of earlier, like they're, they only know, and they're going to stay within these guidelines. Like because it might change their pay or like whatever they're being successful. The more that doctors learn and being open to learning new things, do you think that will be more successful as keeping people healthy? Absolutely. And I think, you know, one of the things, you know, Greg is good that I think that he's, he probably comes to all of the ones that have, you know, physicians there where they're teaching and stuff like that. And, you know, he, he gives a little talk and answers questions and stuff. And, you know, and he'll say, you know, the number one thing that they're interested in doing, and it's, you know, it's not even just on a health level, but the number one thing that they're interested in doing is they're interested in finding people 
that need help, that need assistance, that aren't healthy, and throwing them a lifeline and saying, you know, come with me, let me show you how you can be healthier, how you can have a life that's more fulfilling, that gives you more opportunities with just this relatively simple workout and diet plan. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it doesn't involve a lot of numbers. It doesn't involve a lot of, you know, complicated points and, you know, things like that. It's, you know, it's eat meats and vegetables, nuts, fruit, and, seeds. nuts and seeds, some fruit, little, little starch, starch, no, no sugar. sugar. So again, yeah. it's, you're not, you're not <laughs> counting calories. You're not counting points and zones and all this other stuff. It's, it's just a relatively kind of simple, straightforward thing. And, and that in combination with a varied, um, you know, workout of high intensity is, is going to produce good health benefits. Now, one of the one of the um, people we're going to be interviewing next week is Octane CrossFit, and they're they're one of the gyms that started the whole slogan: "Hey, we we cure, cure type two yeah. diabetes." Yeah. Would yeah. you say that's? I mean, from a med- medical standpoint, that's a little <laughs> bit risky, but from a marketing standpoint, I think that's pro- probably spot on, right? And I'm not even sure that it's medically risky. I mean, again, <laughs> it's... Bold, yeah. But to claim that, I'm saying. No, it's true. I don't even, but I don't even think, yeah, I don't even think medically it's as risky to claim that. Now, you're not going to get, you're not, you may not get 100% cure rate, but there aren't many drugs that give you 100% cure rate. Sure. So it's not, it's not the idea that, well, boy, if there's someone that can't do CrossFit or can't completely, re, you know, reverse their diabetes and never get off medication, that, you know, that you're, that you're not being truthful about that slogan. It's the idea that we know that with diet and exercise, with things like intermittent fasting, with, with with simple approaches that a, anyone can do that you can minimize the effects that they have in their body. And, you know, and if they have type 2 diabetes, you may never get them to the point where they don't have abnormal sugars, but maybe instead of being on insulin, they're on a once-a-day medication. Mm-hmm. Or maybe instead of being on a once-a-day medication, they can just be diet-controlled and, and manage their sugars. And, 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 you know, there are ways that then, and so once you take care of those things, then you've kind of blunted all those long-term effects, all the effects on your kidneys and your, and your peripheral vascular system and your retina and things like that. And so it's, it's, there are things that you can do very simply that are going to, you know, turn around those chronic disease processes. Personally, I've had so many people at Fury at my old gym, Carolina CrossFit, that like just by implementing exercise and being aware of their diet, they've gotten off medications. Like that does solve like a lot of health issues. Like people are so dependent on these drugs and then they improve their health, they improve their body, they improve everything, their diet, and they don't need those medications anymore. Like does that not solve like a lot of our problems, like getting people off the meds? I think that's all like off the couch, well, off the carbs, off the couch, yep, like off yep. the meds. Like I think we've, we've talked about that like huge, like this can cure a lot of things. This yeah. is medicine. Like we talk about food being medicine, exercise being medicine. So we don't have to go see the doctor. I feel like that's huge. So what is, uh, what is CrossFit doing from your perspective and your experience with them? What are they doing to reach that demographic? Yeah, I mean, I think they're doing the, they're doing the things that people see that I think sometimes people aren't happy about. They're you like know the so old, old couch and the broom snatcher. <laughs> well, yeah, I was so, going to ask you, how do you feel about the shift? Like, so, I think I feel like that's huge. Yeah, so they've made a huge shift, and I think again for for the hardcore um, games athlete people that, that came for that you know that that killer workout, they they probably look at it and they shake their head. And they're not sure what's going on. But I think, again, I think they realize that as a, you know, as a product, as something that, that has the ability to influence change, you know, CrossFit really has that obligation to, you know, not just cater to these elite level athletes. That's a small fraction of, of the population that, that they really need to, to make it available to a broader population. And then by making it available to a broader population, maybe change some of these social determinants that, you know, that we wish we could change. And how, stuff. Are, how are they doing that though? Like I, I have not really seen specific shifts in that. I mean, obviously CrossFit gyms would take 
anybody at any level, but I haven't seen anything big. Maybe that's because they're off social media and I can't see <laughs> what, what, what the wheels well, Maybe are they're doing. just doing the work and not talking about maybe it. Maybe they are. Yeah. So I think their goal is, you know, I think, you know, you know, what, what their philosophy is and what Greg has said is that, you know, if, if each, you know, there's, there's thousands of boxes across the world. If each box has, you know, let's say a handful of medical professionals, maybe they're not all, you know, physicians, but maybe they're nurses, maybe they're physical therapists, maybe they're other people and, you know, um, chiropractors, even things like that. If you can get those people on board to understand the importance of these things, then they they go back to their practices and they say, well, you know, here are the things that I can implement. And maybe, you know, maybe I'm not going to go open my own gym, but maybe as I'm seeing patients, I, I can remind them, Hey, let's, let's try to make sure we have, you know, a, a good healthy diet because maybe before they felt like, yeah, I don't, I don't know a whole lot about diet nutrition. I don't feel like I can, um, you know, reasonably talk about that. I'll leave that up to the dietitians, And mm. so I won't say anything to people. If you can give them kind of the PowerPoints to say and just kind of the, the take home that they can share with patients, maybe that's enough. Maybe that's enough to get them motivated, to get them to look into it. And then they can go and they can further their education or they can further their um, you know development with someone that, that I feel has like that specific. I feel like it's giving doctors more confidence to to give diet advice, to give exercise advice. Like, especially like I'm, I'm only thinking, I'm not sure of this, but like if you're specialized in a certain type of medicine, like you stay in your lane. Like you stay like, I mean, if you're just work with kids or you just work with adults or you stay within those realms and because you because you're so dialed into what you know, that if you don't know anything about anything else, you're only going to stay within your lane. And I feel like if we can educate, I mean, any any person really and give them the confidence to be like, hey, have you tried not eating, uh, you know, Lucky Charms for breakfast or like, have you tried exercising three or four times a week at high intensity like if we're giving we're making the powerful people even more powerful like the doctors like if we can make those people more confident and helping people like that's that's making the superhero have more superhero like capabilities i think because like there some some doctors don't know anything about you know most nutrition. doctors yeah most yeah. doctors don't know i mean you know when we go through training the amount you know you get hours and hours and hours of lectures on pharmacology. Here's what this pill does. Here's how it works. Here's the contraindications. Here's the side effects, all this other stuff. You get, I, I would say, and it's probably even a conservative estimate, you get a hundred times more um, lectures on pharmacology on than drugs. you do nutrition. Yeah. It's just, they don't, they, they, I think they kind of view it as, well, there's going to be someone else out there helping you with that. So we don't really need to teach you that you're going to be the only one prescribing medication. So you need to learn this well. And if you need help with nutrition, go find a dietitian. So, so they don't <laughs> even really talk to you about it very yeah. much. And it's, it's literally a small part of your education. And so unless it's something that you're interested in, or you want to find out more about, you're not going to know. And so I think they're hoping that by bringing people in, showing them the effects, showing them what they can do in their gym, what they can do in their practice, that they can kind of, you know, spur that activity and lead it on. And my hope is that that's going to take them somewhere. Um, you know, I, I've heard anecdotally from not, not just CrossFit, but some, some of the other like high intensity interval training that, you know, when you look at, when you look at exercise programs in general, if you look at the cost of insurance for someone that doesn't exercise regularly, their cost of insurance, you know, goes up at a pretty steady rate as they get older. If you look at someone that's in just a kind of a regular, they have a gym membership. So it's someone that goes to the global gym, goes to lifetime fitness, their cost of insurance goes up, but it's at a slightly lower rate because they're engaged in some sort of physical activity. 
if you look at people that are in CrossFit or are in high interval, um, high intensity interval training, their cost of insurance or, or cost of care will actually stay relatively flat or even in mm. some cases go down. So, you know, again, it's at the end of the day, it's money that drives a lot of things. So if you can go to insurance companies, if you can go to health providers, if you can go to hospital systems and say, hey, listen, you know, it's why you see people giving out things like Fitbits and Apple Watches. Mm. If you can do things that are going to encourage people to be healthy, encourage people to have, you know, good exercise regimen, maybe encourage people to eat well, whatever, whatever cost you're paying out up front, you're going to save buckets full on the back end. What bothers me about health insurance and like, well, I recently, I mean, I'm 27 years old, so I had to get my own health insurance, but I'm a fit individual. Like I take care of myself. I eat well. Like why, why should I have to pay like this expensive amount of money for things that like I know I'm not going to need. So like, I mean, it sounds bad, but like I, I'm taking precautions to take care of myself. Why should I have to pay the same rate of Joe Schmo that goes to McDonald's and doesn't do anything. So do you ever see like, I mean, in taking on like pharmaceutical drugs and like the health insurance industry, do you ever see a shift to being like, hey, if you meet this criteria, you can pay this. If you're fat and out of shape, you got to pay that. Which I think is totally, it's totally could happen. I think you're starting to see it. I see, I mean, I see, you know, again, it's probably because of the things that I search and, you know, all the artificial intelligence engines. But I see, <laughs> I, I see on my Facebook feed yeah. insurance companies that will say, can you run a mile in less than Dude, eight minutes? That'd be awesome. You know, and it's hilarious because yeah. it'll say, that. you know, can you deadlift your body weight? So it has all these things that mm-hmm. we in CrossFit, you know, and because there's always, there's always the trolls that are like, oh my God, I can do all of those. So do I get to pay nothing for my health insurance or stuff like that? I mean, I agree but, that you need to pay something but like if i'm in these certain health parameters like why should i have to pay the same thing as you absolutely so i think there's more and more insurance companies are recognizing and i think crossfit is going to get to that point where they're going to be able to go to providers and say hey listen we have this collection of athletes that do you know these functional movements that are able to perform at this level that we also talk to them about nutrition we know we have these long-term outcomes that we can show you we would like you to offer us a cheaper rate and i, and I think they're going to get it to happen and then the insurance and companies stuff. look and, at it and be like you're crazy right you yeah. know we're not going to take no, that I, I, think I think they do that because the risk goes down for them that's yeah. that's why stuff gets imp- gets expensive because the risk is so high yeah. the amount of I'm money a, i'm low risk like why, why should i pay the same thing as high risk you shouldn't, and that's no. why, that's why <laughs> we're I mean, all out of agreement. Yeah. The big thing now is, and now they have like health health savings account. So the mm. idea that you know you can get an insurance that basically says, well, I'm only gonna, you know, it's really only gonna pay out if I get in a car accident and need a whole mm-hmm. lot of attention. But I'm not someone that's gonna need to go to the doctor five times a year, so I don't need a whole lot of you know you know kind of monthly kind of coverage. But I want you to cover me for catastrophic events. So I'm gonna pay just a small amount, mm-hmm. and then the rest of that money that I would have paid into health insurance premiums that just go to pay for someone else's yacht. <laughs> Right. I, I now get to put into an account yeah. that is tax-free. And, for that, me. and that, that account for you, then you can use whenever. And so that money rolls over and rolls over. And so you can get to the point where, you know, if you're healthy for the first 10 years of your life, you've banked up this health savings account that has a lot of money so that then as you get older and you start to have more chronic disease and stuff like that, you have well, that I money then to pay from or something. I'll tell you about how we do. My family, like I said before to you, we're t- completely uninsured, entirely cash pay. So it, it, the changes in healthcare have been strange for my family. Family, but it's really given given us an opportunity to do, take more control of our our own healthcare. It's a little yeah, bit yeah. more risky because oh, it's not technically sure. insured. But and you got kids, dude. 
Yeah, but I mean, it's working for us. Mm. We've had hospital stays, and it's amazing how much you can save well, if, that, if you there if some you go to like you have to have some type of health insurance. You have to pay a fine. That's not, that's no longer the case. Oh, yeah. they got rid of it. And this would have been whoops. This would have been covered. What what we have would have been yeah. covered under that. But I mean, it's amazing if you dig it deep into it. You can shop for the costs of of care. We just had Carson get a tonsillectomy, an adenoidectomy, and a frenulum cut, and we hey, saw you watch what it your cost. Mouth, buddy. I know. We <laughs> saw we saw what it cost at Phoenix Children's. We saw what it cost at St. Joe's, and I had to be more at, more involved in my mm-hmm. my family's medical situation. Yeah. So. It, that's all changing. It's strange. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, because again, it used to be that you just pay for it. So, and, and hospitals would know. Well, listen, if I if I charge the insurance company a hundred dollars, they're only going to pay me twenty. So instead of charging them a hundred dollars, I'm going to charge them five hundred dollars, <laughs> and then they're going to pay me, you know, seventy. So I get closer to what I really need by increasing the price of it. And so mm-hmm. then, you know, the people that hurts is then the people that either don't have insurance or the people that are underinsured because they still get that same rate. You, you know, hospitals have to essentially have one rate structure and stuff, so they can't say, well, if you have good insurance, we're charging you this. If you have bad insurance, we're charging you this. Mm. They just charge everyone the same, but it then also gives them flexibility. If you come in and say, hey, listen, I'm going to do cash pay. A lot of times they'll cut. I just feel half of that. really uninformed when it comes to that kind of stuff, like health insurance, car insurance, renters insurance. Like, I never got that adult like learning. And I guess you just learn with time, like as you get older and as you screw it up. But like, like no one, no one tells you what you really like. What is the best option for you? Unless you, I mean, unless you do it yourself. But like, yeah, like I don't think I feel like we need that needs to be educated to people more of like what kind of care do you really need? Yeah. Like, I think there are some classes. I think it's, I think I've, you know, I think Karen Edget may have even in her high school classes well, when she I'm, taught. I need to go show I think up and go to that's, class. They're essentially, it's fundamentals of living and stuff yeah. like that. So it's, yeah, I teach people how to, I was going to say balance checkbook, but no one even writes checks anymore. They put it on their credit <laughs> do card. Budgets, but, even. Yeah, 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 yeah. How, how to do a budget, how to, you know, do all these just kind of normal Adulting. activities of living <laughs> that, that no one teaches you about. And then all of a sudden you got to get out there and just do it on your own. Yeah. So I, you and I are of the same basic generation. Yes. I grew up in a generation where the government said, here's the food pyramid. This is how you have to eat in order to be healthy. And at the top was all the greens, all the carbs, and at the bottom was the meats. We were fed that, like that was the gospel truth. Is there something you see today that is popular, that is being pushed, that you kind of think 20 years from now we'll look back and be like, man, that was really jacked up? It's made me really skeptical of anything that has to do with nutrition because I feel like this could be a fad that 20 years from now we're like, oh yeah, that was going to kill us. I feel we like should that's never inevitable though. Well, and and if and it's funny because if you, I mean, there's lots of good books on this and stuff like that. But if you, you know, if you the good calorie, bad calories is a fabulous one. But if you go back and you look at how all of those things got developed, how the food pyramid got developed, how the idea that fats cause heart disease got mm. developed. I mean, the, the science behind that is garbage, but it was just, you know, people... Was it I, garbage at the time or did they not know it was garbage? I, I think they they weren't sure and they took a lot of leaps. And so they, they made a lot of assumptions and they never did the research to figure it out. And then once, once research started to come in that would kind of... Of, um, negate that or change that they were just resistant to change because mm-hmm. it was like hey this is what we've been pushing for so long we can't really go back and change it now and so yeah. you know I, I, the, the, yeah, the whole idea that you know 
and, and you know, because again, it, it got us into this whole this whole realm. You know, that I can remember growing up of everything's low fat, and so every label had low fat, no fat, and you know, and again, how you made that taste good was then you loaded it with sugar, and mm. so and, and when they did the studies, they would they would do some of the studies that looked at you know populations across the world, and they would just compare fats. Well, they wouldn't compare sugars, and so they would say things like, "Well, the Mediterranean diet's better because it has more fats and and things like that." Well, you know, they also don't have a lot of sugar and things like that. So when you were comparing it to if you're if you're just looking at one factor and you're not looking at other things, you can get pretty easily confused. And so you know, when, when we talk about studies or, or evidence, that's that's the idea of confounders. So there's other things out there that are having an influence, but if you don't control for those or at least recognize those, and you just kind of ignore them you see changes that aren't really related to that and stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, it's, I think, you know, I think to answer your question, I, I think, you know, we're gonna, we're gonna find out, I, I think something about the idea of GMOs and organics. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, there's things that people are scared of, but I think it's, again, a lot of that's fear-based and mm -hmm. I, I don't know that, again, there's a lot of research uh, into it. Um, I think again, and part of that is it's just hard. Any, any study that has any kind of nutritional aspect to it is so hard to do because most of the studies that have where you're looking at people's nutrition, you're asking them to recall their diet over a period of time. And so it's, you know, the ideal study for nutrition is you would have someone locked up in a, in a building or a dorm and you would supply all their food and you yeah. could, you could control their micronutrients, you could control their macronutrients, you could vary things and then see what it would do. You can't, I mean, A, those studies are hard to that do. They're like hard prison. to fund. They're like, exactly. They're, so. Well, they used to do research on people like in mental institutions because they could do that, right? Right. Oh, and, then, wow. and then they found, you know, and then you can't give consent. And so the whole idea of, you know, with all these government studies that looked at, you know, the um, Tuskegee thing with syphilis and stuff mm. like that, again, they were, they were informative experiments <laughs> in the sense yeah. that they found out information, but they weren't ethical because yeah. you didn't tell people what you were doing. Good and science, stuff. So, bad ethics. Yeah, so, yeah, right. um, but it's just, it's hard to do. And so a lot of it is inferred and a lot of it has a lot of fault to it and stuff. And so, you know, when we try to look at, well, what difference does it make if it's organic versus non-organic? Well, you're trying to, to see, well, does it maybe change the rates of cancers? There's, there's hundreds of things that affect your, your cancer risks over time. And mm -hmm. some of that is in your generation is like we talked about some of that was in the generation past. And so it's how you're going to tease out all of those little things to be able to say, yeah, it's organic fruit versus non-organic fruit. That's really helping you. I think it's, it's going to be impossible, but I think you're going to find out that people have spent a lot of money and a lot of time, buying something that sounds glamorous that doesn't really have an effect. Yeah, interesting. The GMO thing was interesting because I've always been a little skeptical that that was necessarily a bad thing. I yeah, mean, I think I, people I, get this I, idea that, oh, it's genetically modified, therefore it must be bad, you know, and it's, you know, people get, you know, it's into different levels. People will talk about this in terms of, you know, oh, people, you're, you're playing God, you're, you're altering these things. Anytime you take a, a an antibiotic, you're, you're, mm. pl you're playing God, you're changing Ooh, what the natural like course that. of something is. Like to, but, you know, but it's, it's, and there's, there's always side effects. There's nothing that is all good and zero bad. I mean, everything has its pluses and minuses and, and your goal as a provider, your goal as a parent, your goal as a person, as an informed consumer is to say, what are the risks? What are the benefits? Am I willing to live with some of these trade-offs because it's something that I think is important. So skepticism across the board for anything new is probably a good place to start. Yeah, well, <laughs> well, people don't question stuff, especially when it comes to like the doctor or taking medicines or anything. They're like, well, okay, well, just... Just tell me what it is and I'll do it. Yes. Well, and, and unfortunately, especially in, in this day and age, I think people are so reactionary. And so, you know, anything that comes out that may be negative or any, any 
bad outcome, even if it's one bad outcome, all of a sudden people just, you know, oh my gosh, this must be horrible. We must end it all together. One of the, um, you know, I, I, I travel a lot for my job. And so I spent a lot of time in the car and I, I was, I was listening to a book that talked about some, um, some scientific fallacies over the last, you know, 15, 20 years. Um, you know, you probably know you're probably too young, but you know, the idea of DDT. So, you know, we used to have, uh, an, uh, a pesticide called DDT, which we would use, and they would spray across. They used a lot in Vietnam, didn't they? Oh, that may have been something different, Agent oh. Orange or okay, something yeah, like that. But, uh, but they similar. would they would spray it across the country, and you know, there's there's all these old film reels of they would you know spray um, playgrounds while kids were playing in it and things like that. <laughs> oh. And there was some concern about the risk, and so it got taken off the market, and people sued, and it was just this whole big thing. And if you go back and you look at it from an outside perspective, more people have have had you know, probably 10 times more people have died from mosquito-borne diseases yeah. than were ever affected by because DDT. Because the DDT, <laughs> yeah, right. the DDT so killed the mosquitoes, such but once effective, we took that out, then the mosquitoes killed the people. Absolutely. So again, you're, it's a trade-off. And, you know, and it's, it's you know, and, and to some extent, you know, again, we could, they could go down a rabbit hole with this, you know, vaccinations. No vaccination is 100% safe. No, anyone that says vaccines will never cause problems are, are lying to you. They don't cause autism. They don't cause a whole bunch of other problems, but they're not 100% safe. Sure. They're a whole lot safer than not vaccinating. And so, but you have to, you know, you have to look at that trade-off. And so when you look at it and you say, yeah, there is this real risk and it's one in 10,000 or it's one in a hundred thousand, you know, am I willing to accept that risk? Well, you know, you know, maybe if it's for something that's common, like measles, you do take that risk. Maybe if it's something uncommon, like polio, you don't take that risk. But again, 50 years ago, there were whole hospitals that just had artificial iron lungs because polio was such a big problem. Hmm. In that it's day and age, gone now. and it's gone now. So in that day and age, hell yeah, you got vaccinated for polio. Now, when there's five cases worldwide. What yeah. I'm really loving hearing from Jordan as a, as a medical professional is that he's not tied to any certain idea. He's like, well, maybe it could be this and maybe it could be that. Like, I just think that like medical professionals are usually like, it's by the book. It's like this all the way, all the way. But like, he's like he's a medical professional he's like well this could happen and this could happen he's taking all factors in and it's not like by the book like yeah. i love that about like a doctor or any medical professional that says like yeah. my way isn't the only way if, if you think you know everything you're kidding yourself and, and all you've done is you've closed yourself off to the idea of of learning new things and, and you know i can tell you that you know probably just as as a physician bias i didn't have a high um, regard for the art of chiropractors, um, mm. probably five years ago. And <laughs> Tracy, I got involved with Tracy through BirthFit, um, mm. which is the idea of really keeping moms healthy um, before, during, and after their pregnancy to be able to, you know, affect change. And got to see some of the things that chiropractors did and some of the ways that they were able to help. And, you know, and it really kind of changed my mind because I, you know, I think I went into it thinking, ah. Oh, they're a bunch of quacks. They couldn't, they couldn't get into med school, yeah. Yeah, you know, and stuff like that. And then, and you realize, no, there, there's a lot of amazing things that they do. And so if you just, if you just go in with that closed mindset of, nope, I'm not going to listen to anything that they say, you're going to leave, you're, you're going to leave yourself not having the full armament of things that you could do for your patients. And so if, you know, if you're not willing to kind of meet them where they're at and listen to what their concerns are, be willing to say, you know, yeah, there's, there's, pluses and minuses. Uh, let's work through this. And I'm going to tell you what I think is the best, but you know, at the end of the day, you have to be the one that feels comfortable with this. And you know, I should be able as a, as a doctor, I should be able to talk you into why I want to do something. If I can't explain it to you in simple terms that are, is going to sway you and make you accept that, yeah, this is the right thing. Then I probably shouldn't be doing it. You shouldn't just say, I mean, 
and it's why you know I Tracy's mad because I tell I tell our girls they're gonna have to go away for college and things like that. I think the <laughs> the more that you're able to get out and see other perspectives, whether it's in different parts of the country or different groups of people or different nations in the world, you you see different perspectives and you question the things that you thought were just the way it was. And so, well, gosh, I thought we always did this this way. Well, why? Well, I don't know. People just told me that was the way it was. And then you learn, gosh, there's other ways of doing it, and people think this way, and people think that way. And I, I just was never exposed to that. So now I didn't I didn't know about. It. And as you, as you gain more of those experiences and you get more of those exposures, you kind of round out who you are and you're able to just to make, you know, better choices for everyone. Yeah. For me, just because it's like just the way we've always done it, like that is, sets me on fire. It's like, why do we, because we've always done it that way. That's why we're going to continue to do it forward. Like, oh, I hate that. Yeah. There's, uh, there's dogmatism in religion and in just society in general. Everybody's dogmatic about whatever they're, they're believing in. Right. So absolutely, that's great advice. Your, your girls are going to grow up to be happier people i think because well if he keeps good. wearing booty shorts maybe they won't be as oh, happy yeah that's we, gonna... we've kind of skipped that whole whole uh whole uh, you know event yes if, if you guys follow us on instagram <laughs> you've seen a lot of jordan leonard <laughs> jordan is yeah. uh now uh we, he broke the internet with that i think it was awesome listen well, you you guys started this conversation there was a, <laughs> there was an excellent podcast about booty shorts and what that meant and you know and, and you know i listened to it i listened to it with my girls because both of them morgan much more so than ryan but Were we appropriate like, like girls absolutely oh my okay, gosh. Okay, okay. but they you know they they love to wear booty shorts and you know there, there are plenty of times that you know going to the gym i'm a little bit more flexible than when we're going to the grocery store oh, we I, saw how flexible I, you were and i have to tell morgan yeah okay don't do that so i you know and so we, we were joking around at 8 a.m and i was like oh yeah everyone's for booty shorts until someone like me wears it <laughs> <laughs> and the 8 a.m. class was like, oh, yeah, you wouldn't do it. You wouldn't do it. And so then it got to be a dare. Yep. And so I was like, well, okay, if I'm going to say I'm going to do it, I, I probably need to do it. Yes. Um, and I had to go at 6 that day. Yes. Oh, it was, I was so mad. I usually well, am there at like, 8. The way he did it was so G2. Like, it's like, yeah, I mean, I didn't really know what he was doing. I heard the rumor, but like, whatever, Jordan. Uh, 3, 2, 1, he goes, whoosh. Like pants down, and he's just rocking this workout, different interval rounds, and I'm just like, yeah, so it was, yeah. and I'm just a cheering him on. I'm like, you look great in those shorts, brother. It was a four round workout, I think. <laughs> so for the first three rounds, I, I kept my t-shirt on, but we we had, we had the booty shorts, and I think we God, we did squats and burpees. It was and thrusters, kind of all things, whole bunch of things that did, that did not did made not look you look good. great, dude. They made you look um, great. But then the last round, I had to go shirtless too. So we we, we went we went. Uh, Full frontal, basically there <laughs> with that one, but um, but yeah, it was that you know. So Nicole was telling me there's this idea that you know Chase and his military buddies have about manchestering. So if you say you're going to do mm, something, yeah, 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 and you don't do it, then they everyone gets to punch you that heard you say that you were going to do it. <laughs> so I, so I, I couldn't get I couldn't get punched, but now then Chase filled me in that I guess if you then live up to your word. You then get to make those people do anything you say. So I don't, oh, they, they didn't. Wow. They didn't fill me in on that detail of yeah, it. Right. But we'll we'll work out the particulars. Well, I love that we brought light to that situation, and we were able to eliminate all kind of like. I mean, if it's going to be good for them, if it's okay for them, it's okay for us. Like well, I love that. And I told Riley too. What What was funny is my wife was in that and in that <laughs> class, and when the video was going off, as soon as you ripped off your shirt, you got catcalled big time. <laughs> yeah. And I told Riley we should switch it and just have a bunch of guys and a girl in booty shorts just whip off her 
shirt with just a sports <laughs> bra and see what happens when all the guys go, yeah. It's a social <laughs> experiment. I, I recall more that, screams that was, of horror than yeah. catcalling, but you know, it's No, it's, no, it's, no. It's, it's I've heard catcalling for sure. Heidi said she lost track of her, uh, her rep. So <laughs> I, was, I was much more embarrassed to take off my shirt than I was to, to whip out the booty shorts. But uh, <laughs> I, 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 don't know. I don't know. Let's yeah. just say Jordan has legs yeah. for days, man. That's right. He's a tall guy. Especially when you take pictures from low angles. Yes, so. the girls at the desk definitely helps just you out with the angles. Scroll down, you'll yeah. see the picture. <laughs> I think that uh, it's been great having Jordan Leonard, the doctor, in the house. Uh, we've we usually like to end these with like a inspirational quote or like just things that you think people need to hear. What do you think? Have you been given any thought to this? There, there is one thing because you know, I listened to no, I listened to uh, Joey's um, episode twenty, and the, the, one of the things that he said at the end that I just absolutely love because it's one of the things that I that I struggle with, and I certainly struggle with my girls and and people that I work with. But, you know, the whole idea of perfection and failure and, you know, and the, the kind of the quote or the saying that he had that I just that I loved was, you know, there's winners and learners. There's not winners and losers. And, and people get so fixated on, oh, I'm a loser or boy, I'm going to lose or I'm not going to, you know, be successful. Therefore, I'm not going to try. And, you know, it's I think it's it's really a mindset thing. And it's and it's hard. It's hard to no one wants to go into anything where they think, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to come out on top or I'm not going to, you know, you know, be the person that gets the award or gets the applause or gets the attention. It's, I think it's hard for people to do, but I think, you know, having that mentality or having that idea that you're, you know, that you're learning from your failures and really getting, getting rid of the fact that failure is a bad thing. I think failure has a negative connotation. Failure, no one, no one wants to come home at the end of the day, whether it's from school or work and say, Hey honey, I was a failure today. You know, that's, <laughs> that's not, you, you don't want to admit it personally. You don't want to admit it, you know, to your circle of friends or certainly, you know, publicly, but I think, you know, it's, but I think that holds people back. And so, you know, I, 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 again, like I said, I listen to lots of podcasts and one that I listen to a lot and I focused on and, and read a lot about is, you know, the idea that, you know, perfection has become kind of a negative in our world that we think that, oh, you don't want to, don't strive for perfection because you'll never get there. And it's just going to cause you to be stressed and it's just going to cause you to, to not do well and stuff like that. But, you know, you guys have talked about it when you talked about your, your Teddy Roosevelt, Roosevelt quote about, you know, being someplace that's uncomfortable. Mm. Um, and, you know, and, and I think Michelangelo had a great quote where, you know, he said, the, the greatest harm for most people isn't that you aim too high and fail, it's that you aim too low and succeed. Mm. So if you, if you never try to aim high, if you never shoot for perfection, yeah, you're always going to settle and you're never going to know what your limits are. You're never going to know what your potential is. And and so I, I think, you know, I worry sometimes because my girls will say, oh, dad, you just want me to be perfect. And, I, and I'll tell them, listen, I don't expect you to be perfect because I'm not perfect. But I want to know that you tried your hardest. And if you trying your hardest is you get all C's in school, then I guess that's your hardest. But I know better because I've seen you get A's. So I know that when you're not getting good grades in school, it's not because you're you can't do it. It's because you're not trying. And I and I want you to, you know, at the end of the day, at the end of your week at work, at the end of your school year, at the end of whatever you're doing in life, it's a workout. You leave that experience going, I put in everything I can. And, and I may not have succeeded. I may have lost out to someone that was just a better athlete that day than me. I may have lost out to someone that was smarter than me. I may have lost out to someone that had a better plan than me. But I'm going to learn from that. And I'm going to either learn that, boy, I can do things differently or I need to get back in there and work on this because I, I need to do better. Because, you know, if if we, you know, perfection, you know, Perfection it seems unattainable, but yet you know if we settled for ninety nine point nine percent, you know, and thinking, oh, that's close enough. Um, you know, I, I was looking at statistics that mean about ten babies a day were giving to the wrong parents. 
<laughs> if you settled for 99.9%, that means 80 flights a day would end up in the wrong city or would crash. <laughs> so none of us would settle for 99.9% in those circumstances. So why do we in life or in our job or in our, you know, anything else that we do say, well, yeah, I don't need to be perfect because it's, you know, it's just unattainable and stuff. So I think just, just changing that mindset and just, you know, accepting failure, accepting defeat and, and realizing that, hey, it's, it makes you stronger. It makes you learn. It expands that circle of knowledge that you have, um, and it's only going to help you in the long run. It's, it's just such a such a valuable lesson that I think we've unfortunately gotten away from in, in this last few generations. Well, I need to hear that. That's about <laughs> as good as it gets right there, dude. Oh, man, that's perfect. The perfect ending words. Thank you again, Jordan. We loved having you. Love awesome. you guys. Mean it. My pleasure, guys. Hope when the moment comes, you'll say... I swear I live